They are extremely foolish animals, and without a shepherd leading them, they fall prey to a number of predators or ailments. And Jesus sees their spiritual condition and their physical condition as a symptom of the absence of a shepherd. What was interesting here is the fact that Israel, Israel at that time had spiritual leaders, but they didn't have true shepherds. Listen to Ezekiel 34, what it says to the, the shepherds. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not found. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. That is hard words from God to his under shepherds. You are letting them go. You are letting them remain sick and injured and not bound up. You are. And listen to what God is going to do. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for the sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out the flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places they've been scattered on the days of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land there they shall lie down on good grazing pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and Jesus says listen that is your call we also, you, you've also heard echoes of this in Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So Jesus is going to be the true shepherd. He will solve their helpless and harassed by being everything that they need. So my friends, that leads us to me two questions to ask you. So important, I'm going to have them put up here. Here's the first one. Do you know, know, intimately know this great shepherd who is able to meet the needs of the harassed and the helpless, the downcast and the depressed, the sick, sinful and the sick. Do you personally? Because friends, that's the only way we can take that next step of helping others. You personally need to know the great shepherd. 
Because He has to heal your own sin-sick soul. He's the one that heals you from the inside out. You have to know Him intimately. You have to follow Him closely. You have to say, Lord, I will submit to Your every word because from You alone comes the words of life. Do you know Him? And then that leads us to the next question. Do you see people through the lens of compassion like Jesus does? Because you were once like them. Jesus doesn't see people through the lens of disgust. He doesn't see people through the lens of frustration. He sees people as they are, and he loves them where they are. So here's my question. Do you love, do you love helpless and harassed people? what do you see when you see hurting people? What do you see when you see somebody whose life is just locked up in sinful patterns? What do you see? Do you think that you're better than they are? That you're holier than they are? Do you feel disgust? Do you feel just frustration? Maybe you feel pride. Hmm. Thank you, Lord, for not making me like that man over there on the corner. One of the casualties of ministering to sinful people is that you grow accustomed to pain, to sin, and consequences. Your heart can become quite calloused. Another casualty is a tendency to just want to beat the sheep because they just don't listen. Those are the two kind of extremes. Callousness, well, it's just ministry. Or heavy-handedness. But Jesus is different. He has compassion. Friends, we, we have to love people more then we hate where they're at. We have to love them more than where we hate where they're at. Because if you flip it around, it's a kind of a self-righteous ministry, pride-filled ministry. But we have to love them where they're at and walk alongside them. Here's the, the third commitment. This commitment is where Jesus talks about prayer and he, he wants his disciples to realize that before them, before their very eyes is a great harvest, a, a, a feast of ministry that is perpetually growing. It is growing and it's growing by God's sovereign design. This, this is a huge field. He says the harvest is plentiful. It's abounding. In other words, there is no lack for what God wants and is able and is doing. God is making a bounty of ministry harvest out there. Jesus says that even to us here in this little rural hick town of Manhattan. He says, listen, the harvest is plentiful here in Manhattan, here in 
the Lincoln Way area, Joliet, Bourbon A, Kankakee. Friends, the, the, the harvest is plentiful. The lack is for what? The workers. The laborers are few. And what is, what is the remedy for of workers? What is that remedy that Jesus prescribes? Jesus' words are honestly, for me as a, a pastor, kind of a doing kind of guy, his words are more countercultural for me. My first thing is, okay, if the workers are few, the first thing I need to do is create an evangelism course. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do that. Who do I need to call? Who do I need to take out to lunch? But Jesus, what does he say? Jesus' words, one, one commentator, his name's Leon Morris, says this. In an age like ours, we would expect a call to more vigorous and effective action ourselves. But Jesus points to prayer as the really effective thing. Huh. Earnest prayer appeals to the Lord of the harvest because He, He is the one who will send out, thrust out laborers into the harvest. Jesus wants to create an image in our mind of a, of a vast field of, of gold wheat that is just ready for the harvest. And Jesus has planted God's planted it, he's grown it, and now it is ready. It's ready. The only thing that is missing is just common, everyday field laborers. Notice he doesn't appeal only for those upper class folks. He's not appealing to the educated MDiv uh, seminary trained Individuals, he who has ears, let him hear. He's not asking for even just specialized laborers. The field needs common, everyday workers, people whose singular mission is simply to be a part of God's great harvest. Huh. I wonder who he's speaking to. Who is he speaking about? You, you, you are the workers that need to go out into this harvest that God has planted, that God has grown, that God has said, hey, it's now ready. He's saying you, and Jesus warns us to beware of the tendency to be busy at so many other things and neglect the, the effective deployment strategy of praying to the Lord of the harvest. That is why corporate prayer for us as a church needs to be so vitally important. That is why the elders have been reading through a book on, on prayer and us thinking about how do we employ this into our natural life where the first thing that we do is not come up with a class. The first thing that we do is call God's people together for prayer. And you go, hey, why do we have a class? We haven't even prayed about this. Listen to this warning from Dale Bruner. A creeping death sweeps over the mission of many churches in our time because, quite simply, prayer meetings have ceased. Hmm. 
and beneath the death of prayer, at a deeper level, lies the death of real belief. That is absolutely gut-wrenching. Prayerlessness, whether it's in my life or in our church, is basically, prayerlessness is a declaration of my independency from God. So we must pray, or we will lose our heart and our mission. And that is one of the reasons why the elders have called the entire church, not just the prayer warriors, whatever those are, but has called the entire church together for an evening of prayer. So I want you to make it a priority and believe that God will choose to work through the prayers of His people. Listen, we should be motivated to pray even more earnestly, not only for laborers who go out on the foreign field like, like Daniel or the Camiolas or the Ambroses. We're praying for the church that's in Afghanistan. We should be motivated to pray for laborers here in our church. We should pray with a holy earnestness that God would thrust us all into ministry. His ministry. That's His call. And here's the fourth thing. There's a fourth commitment to gifts. Chapter 10 kind of marks a, a monumental moment in Jesus' ministry. There's a lot that can be said in this, this little, these four verses here, even though it seems the, the majority of it is just a listing of names. You can notice that they're, they're going out two by two, right? So that's kind of a ministry is relational and connectional and you build off of each other's commitments. You can notice first that they're called disciples. And then they're called what? A verse later. Apostles. And apostles have unique, a unique responsibility in the church. The apostles are gone. They have died. We are not apostles. Okay? So what was happening here is a unique time thing that happened in this day, in this age. But anyway, there's so much more. I'm not going to get into a sub-sermon underneath the sermon. Jesus is now commissioning 12 ordinary people to the ministry by gift. And it's, there's something very unique and powerful that we've got to understand, that Jesus takes normal, normal, and even subpar men. And he gifts them for ministry. And then he sends them out for work. Some of you are going, uh, if I'd say, hey, I need you to lead this, or I'd love for you to pray about leading uh, an evangelism thing, or maybe do some door-to-door -door kind of stuff, or be serving in this, leading a men's ministry or a women's ministry in this kind of way, would you do that? Yeah, I, I don't have that. I'm not very good at that kind of thing perfect you're actually perfect jesus uses normal and subpar humans gifts them for ministry and sends them out for 
to do this, this kind of work. And I want you to notice at least three things about their ministry. First, that their ministry was all uh, a derivative. It all flowed from Jesus himself. He was the one who gave them authority. He gave them. Their power did not come from themselves. It was something that Jesus did through them. So ministry is not about you. It's about God working through you. Okay? So that's the first thing to remember. The second thing is that there was actually power over demons during this time. And verse 10 verse 1 said that they had authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. There's something about the ministry that we do that the old is gone, the new has come. And it doesn't come from you. It comes from bringing Jesus, declaring the good news, proclaiming this news about Jesus. And finally, they had power to heal every single disease and every single affliction. They had the power to conquer the devil and cure the world. It wasn't their power. And this is always how Jesus operates. Giving Gifts to those who serve, who willingly serve on his behalf. Jesus never calls us. He never calls us to service without providing the gifts that we need. That's how he works. He calls you and he gifts you. The church began this way. He told his disciples before his ascension, before he went up into heaven, to wait in Jerusalem because he was going to provide what they needed in his absence, Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in Ephesians 4, it says that spiritual gifts are even the spoils of Christ's victory. They're the spoils. Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that every, every single believer has been given gifts. Do you understand what that means? You, you have been supernaturally been gifted by the Spirit of Christ for some area of ministry within His church. Every single one of you has been supernaturally gifted by the Spirit of Christ to serve in His church. Jesus gave the gift to you, and the question that must be asked is, am I using my gift? Or, am I sitting on my hands? Without the use of your gift, my friends, the body of Christ suffers. Now, I, my intention is not to motivate you by guilt. Guilt and shame are terrible motivators. I grew up in a culture, Dutch guilt. Maybe some of you know about Catholic guilt. Guilt is a terrible motivator. I want you, I do want to motivate you to know that the church of Jesus Christ needs your gift to be used. Missio Dei Church 
needs your gift to be used. You need to embrace the calling that God has placed on your life. Friends, why? Because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Every one of you should be serving in some capacity within the church. Some of you up front. You love, you you feel comfortable being up front. Praise be to God. Some of you that go, there is no way I will ever be up in front. But I can change a diaper. I can welcome people. I've got the gift of encouragement. I've got the gift of hospitality. I've got the gift of teaching. I got the, the gift of being able to fix toilets. I can be a handyman. Every one of us has a gift that must be used for the glory of God and for the good of His church. Friends, the Word, compassion, prayer, and gifts, those are the four commitments that have got to be our four commitments. Everything. Around these four commitments, without the Word, there would be no authority for change. None. It'd be all based off of whoever has the loudest voice and the biggest charisma. The authority comes from the Word of God. And without compassion, our words just aren't believable. And without prayer, we have no power. And without the gifts being used, the church is just a shell of what she could be. We need a commitment to all four of those things as a church family. The church needs all four to fulfill Christ's ministry. We need all four to be thriving as a church. Like driftwood, every one of us has the possibility of drifting away. So let us be warned about the possibility of personal and corporate drift away from the Word of God, from being compassionate, drifting away from prayer, and drifting away from using our gifts. We're all prone to wander. Every single one of us. So let my encouragement is for each and every one of us to renew our personal and corporate commitments today. To the Word of God. It's got to be more than showing up on Sunday morning. Some of you haven't even cracked the book this whole week. But you call yourself people of the Word. Let's renew our commitment to being in the Word. Let's renew our commitment to being compassionate to people that are around us who are broken and sinful and lost and needing a friend. Who are needing the friend. The friend of sinners. Let's renew our our commitment to praying for one another by name. Praying for those lost family members. Praying for our lost neighbors, our lost co-workers, joining together in a concert of prayer, Join, lifting up the name of Jesus and Lord, saying, Lord, we trust you. You are the Lord of the harvest. Would you send us out? Would you give us the gifts, the equipment that we need so that we can be effective ministers of the gospel out there? 
Lord, would you break into our church? Would revival happen? Lord, would you break into this community so that they would know Jesus? Lord, make it so. And then be willing to say, I'm willing to go, Lord, with the gifts that you have given me, normal and subpar as I am, You've given me all that I need for life and godliness. Send me. You'll give me everything I need for each step. I don't know what words to use. I don't know how to defend that, the faith in a really effective way. God will give you what you need. Send me. Amen? Let's pray. God, would you let us strive and trust you in that striving that you are the Lord of the harvest. And each and every one of us were part of that harvest. Our lives have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. Give us an an astonishment of this, this kingdom. The good news of this kingdom. May we be re astonished at how beautiful and how powerful it is. How you showed compassion to us. And Lord, may we have compassion on others. May we work hard at the things that actually matter in this world. Convince us, Lord, of the primacy of the gospel. And may we be willing agents, town criers, who go out and declare Christ has come. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One who has gathered us together like the sheeps, the sheeps, the sheep that were described in Isaiah chapter 55, that one who has gathered together is the one who promises to feed us and nourish us, and it requires us to come in faith, trusting that He is the bread of life. And He will nourish us. He will nourish our faith. He will strengthen our faith when we come to Him in faith. He has provided us a a visual and a tactile meal to strengthen our faith. And this meal is open to all who believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior, have trusted in Him fully for their salvation, for their growth in holiness. Those who are part of a a church belong to a family of faith and have submitted themselves to its leadership. If that is true of you, you are welcome to this meal.
before you come, I want to encourage you to, to examine your heart. If there is sin that is residing within, stubborn sin that you would much rather run to than to run to Christ. Confess those sins, brother, sister. Trusting that God is the balm for your soul. He is the healing, the healer that you need for your sin-sick soul. And after confessing, come with Come in faith, trusting that He will nourish and strengthen you through the power of the gospel, not through a sacrament, but through the power of the gospel. He will strengthen your faith. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, and when He he had broken it, He had said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, he took the the cup of thanksgiving, and after he blessed it, he poured it out saying, this is my blood in the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the complete, complete remission of all your sins. His body broken. His blood poured out for you. Come, for all things are ready.